right, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm joined by a lovely soul. I was just telling him how lovely of a soul I think he is. Uh, a handsome man, someone who gets along with everybody and is just out here trying to make his money move and make good relationships, I can tell. Uh, this is my good friend Peter Houston joining us. What up? What up? Uh, another. Thanks for having me, Zave. Of course. A fellow USD student. And you know what I was thinking about today, actually, before you were coming over? is like, we didn't meet in Thornton classes. We met in PH's class. And he's a fucking legend. I love PH. Shout out Patrick Henry. So that was our entrepreneurship class. Tell me what your initial thoughts were of that class and of me, if you're willing. Of course. Well, I thought it was... I, I had been wanting to take a couple Marshall classes because I transferred in and I transferred in as an econ major. So I had taken a couple econ classes at SC, but not any business classes. And I thought like, okay, how is someone going to teach entrepreneurship? Cause it's a very elusive subject. You know what I mean? It's like, it's how like do you to how figure do you, it out? Sport, yeah. How you do know? you teach someone to be like entrepreneurial minded? So I was just interested to see what it had. And then I realized there are so many music industry kids in that class specifically. It's true. And I just remembered, I remember meeting you and I just remembered thinking like, Oh, I got, I have to get to know this person. Like Appreciate he seems, that. he seems really dope. And then we went, ended up working together and it worked out. That is funny. You say that about the music industry thing. Is it, is that class? It must be a mandatory class. It is. And yeah. you know what else I just realized? I think everybody else was also kind of a transfer. Because I'm, I'm a transfer, yeah. and Sean was in that class. He's a transfer. Josu mm. transfer. So it's kind of just like me. Yeah. Wait, are you not a transfer? No, I am. I oh am. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah. so like, I wonder if it's just like ah, we'll throw them all in there. Do you know uh, Paris Watson? Paris Watson, no. Okay, so no. she's also in music industry, and we were just bonding over PH's class. She, um, she maintained a relationship with like a lot of those guest mm. speakers. She, uh, mm. one complaint she had about Thorin to me, which we were just talking about, cause she was on the podcast last mm. week. Um, she was saying how she felt like at the Marshall school. So that's the USC business school for those who don't know, like the connections were being made to be long lasting. Whereas with like pop forum, she was saying Chris Sampson was like discouraging her from reaching out to the guests and like trying to maintain a relationship. Mm. But she's still like every day talks to the guy who ran boxy, mm. uh, and you remember that guy who like puts the the wraps on the trucks and oh, like advertises yeah. no, companies? Oh yeah, no, I thought yeah. that was genius because yeah. we all see in the future what's gonna happen, and that's like digital advertisements on everything. You know what I mean? I like agree, people yeah. are gonna have. I don't even know. Like it's yeah. My new favorite one is the billboard off the ten uh, for the uh, the soccer team, mm. uh, not the Galaxy, but the other one. Mm. But anyway, it's like right off the 10, and it's the it. biggest digital billboard I've ever seen. It's like 4K. Yeah. And I was like, eventually this is going to be full, like all the way down the highway. You're going to see hundreds of these. Yeah. Um, so, but the reason I was bringing up the entrepreneurship stuff and everything is because I saw on Facebook you were sort of proposing this idea of freshmen who are coming to USC mm. taking maybe a leave of absence instead of coming to online Zoom online Zoom university. Yeah. Um, why do you feel so strongly about it? And what has your experience been with the Zoom classes so far? Man, this is a heavy question for me. Please unload everything. We it's got, something we got time. I think about a lot. And mm. it's, it's, you know, it's uh, especially coming on the other side of the college experience and having, you know, just an attachment to that. And just, yeah, here, well, here it goes. So <laughs> I just think that it really is BS that we're paying more money for school this semester and this year 100%. for an online thing. It's, you know, you're not getting the product that you are paying for or that you signed up to pay for. Although the fact is everyone who's here now did sign up to pay for it. But yeah, I just don't think that you can like replicate that experience. I don't think, I think the most important part about USC are the students that it curates especially with Thornton. It's like being around you and other kids who are just as serious about making something in the music industry and, and pursuing that, you know, for the rest of our lives. Like, it's, it's a, it fosters a community of people who are like-minded that I just, you know, like, do, like doing this stuff, meeting all those people, especially for PR and just like how nepotistic the the music world is it's like all of us are gonna need each other you know what i mean i and think so too i think anyways, it, sh it yeah. speaks waves like the people 
who come up and share their story of coming up with their peers. I think it's a lot less frequent you hear about someone who was like a lone wolf and like fought their way up to the top of the ladder. It's like, mm -hmm. oh no, my mentor assisted me. Oh no, my friend moved out here with me. Oh no, you know, like I agree there's this sense of community. And it's funny you touch on like these situations right here. We get to like meet up, it shows the value because I didn't realize how much I was really missing that human connection until I started like hanging out with people again. Obviously I got back to LA, COVID was still like, pretty bad and everybody was sort of staying in their houses but over the past few weeks I found myself hanging out with my friends again outside we went and we got lunch we went and went to like a little comedy show like we've been doing things and I was like oh my god like I'm not even having conversations with my friends anymore because we take classes online and it's forced to be muted yeah. like it's forced to sit here and be silent and when you do banter it's like weird because you're like talking over each other it's like internet connection it's not human so I agree like uh have you, have you been doing anything outside recently? Have you been getting out more now that things are quote unquote seeming a little more casual? Yeah, I, I actually, I taught a surf lesson this morning. Oh my God, no so way. So I teach surfing during the week. To, if any of the listeners want a lesson, hit me up. Please, and wait, it's like what demographic of people? Uh, any, like anyone. All ages? Like my, my most recurring clients are younger kids, but I've taught my dad's friends, I've taught co-workers i've taught friends from That's high beautiful. school friends in college friends that go is surfing to a huge passion tell me about how you got into it oh man yeah it's a huge passion um i can't surf it's okay <laughs> we'll get you started i would like to learn hey man you look athletic i bet you can get it <laughs> Thanks, bro. do some yoga and then practice have those pop-ups but it's like yeah the pop-ups bro obviously that's man's worst it enemy. takes a second it's not you know people try to compare the forms between snowboarding, skating, and surfing. And they're so different, like so different. So yeah, it really is a whole different skill set. But I got into it. Um, my dad moved from Chicago to Los Angeles with my mom when they were in their late 20s because my dad was going to grad school at USC, actually. Oh, cool. And so he always wanted to surf. He kind of, you know, romanticized surfing in California. And so he's picked it up, like just... Out of nowhere. And then um, when I was younger, I was boogie boarding a lot. We would go to the beach almost every weekend. And then um, uh, just when my dad thought I was old enough, he was like, yo, you should surf. And just got me up on a couple waves and the rest is history. Why not? Damn, that's so beautiful. <laughs> and then I, I was a competitive surfer in middle oh, school no and way. high school. So I competed. Does yeah. that lead to like scholarships in college in any way or anything like that? Perhaps. You know, I wasn't like in that upper echelon. So I, it wasn't something that would have been possible for me. I wouldn't me, even but know if that's real. That's why I just watched it. Just, it. <laughs> yeah, it just kept me. It just kept me practicing and exercising. And during the tennis off season, I would take surfing really seriously. So yeah. you said tennis off season? Yeah. Those, so are like, those your two main things? Those were my two main okay. things growing up. I did like uh, soccer was my main thing, and then as like a side thing, I did like swimming and then volleyball. Mm. Um, I miss playing sports. Are you missing sports right now? A lot. Are you going and, surfing right now? I guess you just said you did yeah, today. Yeah, I mean, I'm going pretty often. Okay, okay. Especially during COVID traffic where it's not as bad. You could kind of predict it a little bit. I guess that's interesting because that's a hobby that I feel like wouldn't be drastically affected by the COVID situation. Is that true? It's not. Yeah. It's not really affected by it. And the, it's funny. Like, as soon as you get onto the beach, people act like COVID doesn't exist. I feel like that everywhere bro as soon as you get to a restaurant everybody yeah. acts like covid doesn't exist oh like my God. it only exists when you're thinking about it you know are when you you're, are you a server uh i'm a, a food runner so, okay but it's like the same thing i'm still running the yeah. tables and everything what do you feel about people who when after they sit down and they're now ordering they don't put on their masks to order do you think oh, that's a little bit disrespectful so like so let's say well personally no i'll answer your question right mm -hmm. away but so the situation you're implying is like they greet the host with their mask on. They walk to their table. They get seated at their table. So now they're legally allowed to take off their mask. They take it off. And you're saying as someone comes to the table to speak to them, should they put on their mask real quick? Correct. Honestly, bro, like we, the servers and the food runners are all like double masked up. Like we have very serious precautions on. And the vibe of the people working is sort of like we – understand the risk we're putting ourselves in we need to get paid so like we are doing everything we can to keep y'all safe and we don't mind y'all putting us in danger so personally i don't think it's a big deal if i'm going out to eat i don't want to have to worry about putting on my mask every five minutes my server comes to the table do you feel the opposite is that why you ask no i just i i agree with you i mean i 
I mean, I agree with you. Dude, it's a it's, super gray line world right yeah, now. Yeah, it is, and yeah. I feel like it's it's completely up to preference, but my I went out to eat with my younger brother last week who's dating a girl who is a server, and she feels like it is a little bit disrespectful when people don't put on their masks to order, but it happens more often than not that you don't. Yeah, why, people don't. Like, why would you? I feel yeah. like, you know, like that's a lot of, like you're basically, you're basically adding responsibility to someone when they go out to eat. And I feel like that's the opposite of what you want to do when you yeah. go out to eat. It's like have more responsibility. People go out to eat to get taken care of. Exactly, right? Yeah. To like not think about that shit. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. It's probably a good idea to do that. And I, I've seen clientele come to the restaurant that like get really anxious if I approach their table and they didn't have time to put on their mask. Mm -hmm. they, they find it like a defense mechanism and they start to be like, oh my God, I need to put a mask on. So I definitely see both sides. Mm -hmm. But um, but it's a crazy world. So we kind of just let everybody do their own thing. I had a guy <laughs> tell me that he had a problem with me touching my mask to adjust it right in front of 10 people walking by with no mask. And I was just like, bro, pick your battles, you know? So yeah. it's a gray line world. Um, yeah. But... Back to like the vibe Big of the tangent. school. Yeah, well, it's a podcast, so it's going to be like that, right? But uh, back to like the school and everything. Um, I'm curious. I'd like to build a little bit more on how you feel. Yeah. Did you take any more martial classes besides entrepreneurship? Um, martial classes. Or have you had other classes besides the Thorn classes? Because I'm wondering yeah. how you feel about the vibe of Thorn specifically mm. inside of USC. Just tell me how you feel about it how you feel about it now versus when you first came in? Because I know that when I first got to USC, I was looking at everything with these like golden lenses. Of course. So, so tell me about As how well. you feel about it now. As well. Well, I will say that if you're not a music industry major, the Thornton program, the th being in Thornton classes, you feel less connected. Because if you're on the Thornton major, you, you have access to all these different programs. As well as this year, they started a mentorship program for incoming transfers to the music industry program, as well as freshmen. And so I, and I'm sure you, wish that you had that. that. Yeah. Because like when you get in, all you want to do is have, you know, be friends with other people or be around other people who are music industry majors and who are trying to figure this out alongside of you. Um, and so, yeah, I've, it's really important to me that that happened. And I'm actually a mentor for four mentees. No way. Well, tell me about the program. I, I didn't even hear about it. How does yeah. it work? Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like you get, you get matched up with about four or five just based on how the amount of mentors and mentees that signed up. Okay. So I have four mentees. Um, and, yeah, we just, like, chat. And I just tell them about my trajectory, about my SC experience, how to make the most of it to be in Lyman's class, to, to hang out with Garcia as much as possible and to take advantage of the other kids in the program. And yeah. I mean that in, you know, in the way of like, like, like make good chats and make connections, baby. It's um, absolutely true. What, what kind of, do you put a huge value on like your relationship with peers? I mean, it sounds like you do from the way you're talking absolutely, about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you still talk to this is something Paris kept highlighting. Mm -hmm. She was like, I've got these internships and these jobs and I still talk to those people like every day. Is that something that you find yourself doing, like maintaining relationships? Not every day, but I, I will struggle. say I add people on social media. Like I add my supervisors on social media. I add anyone that I met, I, I, at least on LinkedIn. And like, I just interact with them. You know what I mean? And if like, uh, I remember, like there was a specific subset of memes that my supervisor and I found really funny. It was like Cody, it was the Cody Co. He's Which a one? comedian. He's an internet comedian. I know of him. Yeah, so yeah. like just different stuff would come up and you would see uh -huh. like his face on the internet or something that he would make fun of somewhere. Okay. And I would send that to my supervisor and be like, haha, you know, and just like, and this made me think create, of you. Yeah. You know? Or yeah. like tag yeah. people and stuff, you know, that's where I see the benefit, the huge benefits of social media are like lie in those opportunities um, where it's just so easy to just like tell, show that you're thinking of someone. I feel the you know same I mean? way. Yeah. I try to be in this habit where like, if I randomly think of someone who I haven't thought of in many weeks, many months, just text them. Yeah. It's so easy now. Like you just hold down the lock button and just say what you want to happen and Siri makes it happen like magic. Yeah. Like it's yeah. crazy. Uh, I feel the same way. Have you seen The Social Dilemma? I, okay, I've, I've been delaying it. You will inevitably. Yeah, yeah I yeah, will yeah. inevitably. Yeah. I need to watch it during the day. I just don't want to watch it before I go to bed. I get that. Because I'll be tripping. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say that? Um, 
<laughs> I don't know. I've just, especially lately, I've just been having very intense dreams. No way. And I feel like, you know, that kind of information, what is that, would exacerbate that. Um, yeah, but I need to watch it. And also it's because I feel like there's always been, there have always been ways for humans to like flex on other people or display affluence like or look to magazines for um for like what am i trying to say i, I think influence. I, yeah for influence mm-hmm. you know what i mean and in, in uh i'm i'm trying to relate to like body image if that aesthetics i guess like when you know when when people are posting on social media like their best pictures and what you see advertised in people magazine are like the best looking women uh to them apparently Mm. um and people see that and they compare themselves to that like all those things have already existed but now they just exist in more of an in your face kind of way 100 percent um but there are so many benefits like especially when it comes to media marketing and um, just getting your name out there and being able to have like a base of people that are following you that you can be in touch with. 100%. I'm relating this to the music industry. Mostly. Well, bro, it's true. It's I mean, such you're, you're gaining tool. access to the whole world. I mean, yeah. that's brand new. That's yeah. definitely brand new. Yeah. And I agree with what you're saying. I always, I always mention this, like even in the history you're talking of back to magazines, it's true. Even in the history of like archaic societies and like uh, old royalty, like if you just dressed a certain way everybody knew what you looked like they knew what you thought your opinions mattered like clout existed back Mm -hmm. in the day back back in the day Mm -hmm. um so i agree it's like a natural and inevitable like place we've gotten to now where everyone's obsessed with it and it's causing like actual psychological damage yeah um and see that's that's the it's like the statistics and all that and the correlations are the reason why i need to watch it because i know very loosely about you know the correlation between just what social media does to people. It's really or, bad. Yeah. It's really bad. Yeah. In like, short, it's really bad. It's something I that I, watch it it's something that I have paid attention to for a while. I'll give you yeah. just my favorite piece of information of course, from it. Please. Uh, uh, in 2013, when smartphones became the prevalent subject and everybody started having a smartphone in their pocket, the rate of preteen suicide increased over 100%, like within the next 10 years. Preteen girls, girls that are less than 13 years old. So that's my favorite stat because I think it shines very obviously a light on what is occurring to the human mind with this new technology to our society. But I just encourage everyone to watch the documentary. It's so good. Um, but moving past that, because that is pretty sad, I do agree with all the positivities you're mentioning. And I do know you have a huge passion for PR and publicity. Tell me why you like publicity. And uh, we were in Lorenz class, so I'd love to talk more about that and what you took away from it. So. Please guide me. Loren's my mentor now. Yeah, you talked to her the, more? For the Capstone Project. Oh, perfect. She's, I mean, she's such a role model She's to me. gas. And yeah. I know you guys have the Latin heritage in, uh, in yeah. common as well, so I would love to hear more about yeah. that as well, too. Somos Latinos. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, okay, so here's, here's the fun Peter's PR story. Perfect. And origins. Um, I, whew, I was a senior in high school, and I applied to USC, and I got into the transfer program. Um, so they were like, the, it's the Trojan transfer program. So they said, look, you go to community college or another institution, get like a 3.6 and we'll guarantee you a spot. These at, are becoming very common USC. now. We have yeah. one in Delaware. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, cool. And so sure enough, I'm like, all right, well, they see something in me, but not quite there yet. So I need to work in the music industry. I need to get an internship, I thought. Because the only... The only experience I had and like the only way to prove that I was serious about wanting to be in the music industry program was I threw a show um, senior year of high school in this theater in uh, West L.A. And it was actually it was like 250 to 300 people came and I had three different acts and like it was it was awesome. It was a great way to end the year. But that was it. You probably learned a lot. hmm? You probably learned a lot from that. Oh, so much. Mm -hmm. You can't predict, like, yeah, that's why like, you said you that. Can't, you, you, like, there's so much stuff that you just have to like deal with it on the spot, and it's just nutty. It's true. Um, yeah, and then so I, I just applied to every single internship op- opportunity I could online, and I landed um, something with a really small boutique music PR company called Drill Down Media, and at the time they had Elohim, um, Zella Day, and 
the 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 owner also works in tangent with like different indie um, festivals and stuff like that happening Fire. in Miami and across the United States. And um, I was I started interning for him, and it was myself and one other young woman who had recently graduated college, and she dropped out of the internship. So it was just me and the owner. Damn. And then so I got all the work, but I loved it because I was actually the right-hand man of the owner of the company. And so I, I got a look into what, before I started the internship, I didn't even know what PR was, especially in comparison to marketing. And then when I got to USC even, I realized that people don't really know what PR was in comparison to marketing. So I just saw it as a way for me to um, service artists because my goal is actually to be a manager and start a management firm. But like, how can I be a manager if what managers have at their disposal mainly are connections, like a wealth of connections? So I was like, all right, well, I'll help, I'll help artists by getting them onto blogs and showing them how that works. So that's the... My first question. PR story. Well, no, I, <laughs> that's a, a long lot of stuff. nutshell. And it gave me a bunch of questions to ask from yeah. it. My first question being, what is the crucial difference to you between marketing and PR? One's organic and one's not. So Dive deeper. P- PR is organic because you're working with journalists, pitching them and not paying them to get, to get features and get interviews. It's like a mutual beneficial thing. The publicist supplies the artists and the story and the narrative and the bio and the press release and the assets and photos and everything. Okay. And then the journalists take that, write their own feature on it, and then put that on the website, which the website has a following and people who actively go to that website to check out stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and marketing is, is more like paid advertising. If you're doing, doing a social media campaign, it would be like paying for an ad on Facebook or paying a TikTok influencer to do a dance with your song, um, you know, physical. So billboards, no one can afford that, but billboards um, and different things like that. And how valuable have you found your time, your connections in time to like gaining an artist clout and getting streams and stuff like that? Have you noticed like a direct correlation? I've noticed. hmm. Because I fear that from what you were saying, like you're relying on, I mean, this is just so pessimistic. I'm being cynical. That was advocate. It's a podcast, right? So I'm hitting you back. Right. But I'm just thinking, right. So with these magazines and these sources like that, one, we're in an era of like misinformation. So like, I don't believe anything I read on an article. So if I see an article on artists, I would just be like, you know, the artist paid for this, whatever. They, their mom works for the blog, whatever. Mm-hmm. Or I'm finding that people aren't subscribing to as many like companies like this. Maybe that's just me. And maybe I'm like anti-company or whatever. But are there still a lot of interest in like magazine companies, blog companies, stuff like that? Well, what's the first thing that you do when you find an artist that you really fuck with? I usually go right to their Spotify. And then once, you're lis- once you've listened to their music, what do you do? Go to their Instagram. Go to their Instagram. Yeah. And what if one of their posts says, yo, I spoke about my childhood and crazy upbringing with XXL Mag. Like, would you maybe go and read that? I would, yes. So that's, that's where PR comes in handy. It takes... Damn, there's an ice cream truck outside. I know, we've been hit with so many downs. I'm so sorry. But <laughs> no, you're good. It's no. natural, it's organic. <laughs> so what, what I feel the function for publicity is, is it takes, it takes casual fans and makes them more hardcore fans. It takes the casual listener who maybe discovered someone on Spotify and went to go follow them on social media and then makes them like someone who will buy a concert ticket. And someone who feels more connected to that artist. I'm immediately convinced in the value of this because that is absolutely true. Because, I mean, just like that's what it is. Like whenever I get into an artist, the more I can relate to them and hear their story and watch interviews and watch them do like live shows and see them do their thing. Like the more exposure I get, you know, the more I feel connected to that person. That makes so sense. So that's, that's what it's about. Someone said to me once in a class, you don't fall in love with the music, you fall in love with the artist. Do you agree with this? Wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly? Wholeheartedly. Like, yeah, I, I, think I go I, back and forth. Yeah, I, I mean, there are definitely exceptions, but... Exactly, like maybe that's when, what I think. When yeah. two people make very similar kinds of music, I'm going to root for the one that, you know, has the story that I 
that you love, relate to. Right? That I relate I like, to. Yeah, that I love. Yeah. Like, I think that's really what it is. Like, people are seeking something that they relate to. Like, especially people, and this isn't like a dig, but people who aren't aware of a way to express themselves or don't have like a creative outlet. That's why they love an artist because they're like, you're saying everything I wish I knew how to say. You know, like that's the fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I remember in our market. <laughs> Remember how in our marketing class we've created a um, a group that is all female and they're all really good at video games and they're all really open um, and they exp- you know they're all really open about it and they stream about their this is a hypothetical situation by the way guys but so like if you're if you are a female gamer and you like music and you see this all female group accepted by more people than just gamers talk openly about their love for what they do. And um, like, you're gonna, you're gonna fall in love with them Mm -hmm. or you're gonna feel super connected to them. So that, I mean, that bridges into branding and why showing your other interests and talking about your other interests as an artist is so important. Diversify your brand. Diversify your brand. Like, baby. Let people know what you care about because it'll just attract more people. I've been thinking a lot about that. This is another, we're going on a totally different direction, but I've been thinking about like ways to get some ancillary money. When, when, when do you graduate? This fall. So in December or the following? In December. I also graduate in December. And so I was thinking about how you brought up this point about how you've been feeling a lot of extra anxiety recently, bro. I, I feel you so much. Like, uh, I got this funny phone call from my dad. I keep quoting it because it's funny what he called me. And he was just like, so I've been financially supported by my parents while I'm in school, but we graduate in December. So he basically just called and he was like, hey, I got October and November rent. You got December. Like, that's what he said. And I, and I knew that was coming. So I wasn't surprised or anything like that. But I just thought it was comical, but also like very serious. Because now it's like, I'm going to be adding a huge more amount of like bills to pay. I'm graduating. I don't have a job lined up. I'm like stressing about how I'm going to manage my time and also focus on a career while I have to go get a job just to make money. So all that just to say, I've been thinking about ways to get like some ancillary money. And the immediate thought was like, okay, getting a job in the music industry has been difficult. What are some possible ancillary things I could do? And I just thought like, I like weed, you know, I like driving. I like this and this and this. Let me see if I can just make money doing what I like. Um, I think that's a really valuable thing. And I think it, it plays a huge role in like not hitting what you do every day. I think we live in a world where too many people like wake up and don't love what they do. And it's very sad. Uh, have, has it been really important to you to make sure that you find a career in the music industry so that you're doing what you love? That's a really good question. I feel like we've all had to compromise in this time of the Corona. I wanted to go into management so bad. Like I salivated over the idea of, of, you know, being that close with an artist's career and guiding them throughout you know, that, that process. And, um, but the biggest, the biggest recurring revenue source for management is live. And it's, that's the most lucrative aspect of the music industry as well has been live for the past, you know, um, decade or two and, uh, two decades for sure. I was just having that exact question and conversation with my roommate the other day. But yeah, I think that's about (laughs) it. Yeah. And so like I, you know, no one in management's hiring because they're not even making money themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I am, you know, I'm, I'm looking at other things and looking at DSPs for the time being. I really kind of want to, want to see what the culture is at like an Amazon, Apple music or Spotify. It's definitely niche. Like, yeah. And, or, you know, work out a label. Um, but whatever I do alongside, whatever I do, I definitely want to, you know, make sure that servicing artists is a part of that, but then also growing Red Bloom, which is the company, which is, you know, right now it's very focused on PR and marketing and development, but eventually I do want to take that, rebrand it and then make it a management company, um, in, you know, five, six years time once I've established more connections in the industry i find with the management companies they have like one thing in particular typically that they like their edge you know exactly what would be your edge do you think of and for people who don't know let me just give context like basically a management firm is going to be responsible for like holding a bunch of artists and helping them you know gain influence get people to listen to who they are and stuff like that there's lots of different ways to do that there's like through streaming through music videos through touring blah 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 it goes infinitely so tell me which one is the most important to you i mean i Yes, all managers have their edge, mm-hmm. and I feel like my edge will just be like knowing digital really yeah. well. 
I think that's like, key, uh, key. Knowing, you know, the ins and outs of brand partnerships and what goes on behind the scenes at digital streaming platforms, who to know, who the, who the liaisons are between artist teams and like the curators, the Spotify playlists, um, knowing how to do publicity campaigns and just following all of that really closely. I think will be. Bro, I think knowing people advantage. is the most valuable. That's I what, think kind of what you're saying. A hundred percent knowing people. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you're really good and people. <laughs> knowing them face to face, too. You know what I mean? Like, and, re- you know, really having a conversation with them and adding them on social media and sending them memes. <laughs> yes. Like that's, I, yes, exactly. Dude, that though, will, that yes. will make, that will, you know, we talked about connecting with an artist once you've seen an interview, like, that's the kind of stuff where someone will choose your artist over another just because you've gone out of your way to be nice to them. I 100% agree. Treating a human like a human goes the longest way. It's incredible to me how often I hear people being like, yeah, we have so many applicants for this position, but only half of them are like normal people and the rest of them treat <laughs> right. me like I'm you know, an upper or whatever. I think right. it, it really goes a long way just to act casual with other people. Uh, you started to talk about the digital era and live entertainment and how it's like been washed away right now. It's very sad. Uh, from your perspective, how is an artist like portfolio adjusting right now? Because like you said, touring took up the major profit margin and now it's zero. So what are you seeing in terms of like artist careers right now? How are they adapting to this, this current state? Well, something that we're looking into for one of our, uh, the artists that I work for um, with a company that I work for now called Alt Vision. The artist is Blue to Tiger, and she's a uh, badass singing, producing, DJing, bass playing um, woman, bass, young woman, bass in New York City. I'm into that. And she's so sick, dude. I'll show you her videos right after this. But um, right now, she's doing, she's doing bass lessons. Or we're we're basically launching a Patreon account for her pretty soon, so keep this under wraps. <laughs> um, and what she's gonna do is is do bass lessons and also production lessons. That's dope. And she's she I mean she has nine hundred k followers on TikTok, That's so she has dope. a really big platform, and a lot of people have been hitting her for lessons. So we're gonna tier the Patreon so that. You know, the first tier, five bucks more or less. And that is just for general announcements, like a private Twitter feed, essentially, for Patreon That's users cool. who do the first tier. Second tier will be more like 10, 15 bucks per month. And it's a little bit more serious, but you get a webinar style uh, class for production and bass lessons. That is so, so you, smart. You, you, can, you can't like turn on your um, audio and talk to Blue, but you can watch that and it's exclusive to you. And we'll figure out if we'll like have a portfolio where those are saved. Maybe mm. we'll mm. see. And then third tier, even more expensive, probably more like $20, $25, if not maybe more, um, would be to do like group lessons, but on Zoom so that people can actively ask mm. questions. Um, because, yeah, they've paid more. Obviously. Actually get that face-to-face time. Yeah, and actually get that face But this is exactly what we're talking about, bro, the device, diversify the portfolio. Like, yeah. show people what else you care about. When you said that, I started to think about these other announcements I've heard. Kevin was just talking about uh, a bunch of old punk people from War Tour are about to do this thing where you pay per month and then you get to see their fitness routine or something. That's fire. Yeah, so, like, all these... It's not, it's not one famous person, it's a bunch of famous people, and every month you get, like, four or five different routines with this famous person that you like. So if you like the punk scene and you like to work out, boom, like, you're gonna buy. There's no shot boom. you're not gonna buy. Uh, it's really crazy what's going on. Kev's also throwing this whole conference called the Adapt Conference, if you heard about it, but it's literally, like, he's inviting many major companies and many major players from those companies to come talk about how they are literally adapting due to COVID, how their entire company has changed or how they've had to remodel to to survive. I mean, um, one perfect example is he's talking about upstaging uh, companies, like a company that basically puts together stages for live shows and stuff like that. There's no live shows, so there's no stages. So they literally started creating like devices for COVID safety. And they're just like selling them to commercial businesses who need to like put up, you know, face shields or whatever and stuff like that. It's really interesting. Yeah. At restaurants, like blocking and making sure, especially as we go into more colder months in other parts of the nation, like having more sectioned off seating. Yeah. Um, 
I, yeah, I think that's incredible. I, what's, you mentioned staging companies and we work with a lot of staging companies because we work with mostly um, DJs. Oh, right. So presentation is everything, right? And what we'll do for, even if it's just a casual live, live stream to really stand out, we'll hire a production company to come into a warehouse and set up full stage production and do our live stream on that. So like most people are, you know, have their CDJs on a table in their living room and we're full, we're doing full light pyro. That's crazy. Like in a warehouse, it's really dope. So that's been a way that we've, you know, been able to keep each other in business. Do you see a recent or a recent, do you see an upcoming near future for VR and augmented reality for those uh, types of events? And do you think people will really like be into that? I don't know if people will be into it. I can't I, tell either. I hope so. Um, because, I mean, I don't know. This is kind of going, uh, here, I'll bring it back real quick. So, mm-hmm. I, well, I do think, yes, it's going to be a thing. Um, because li- companies like Live Nation have already invested in technology that films, concerts, and sports games and and makes them, you know, uh, uh, converts them to to a VR experience. So that's going to happen more and more. Okay. And um, my feeling is that, yeah, my feeling is that, you know, you'll be playing Minecraft or you'll be playing some other video game on VR, and then you can just, like, go to the concert area and mm-hmm. other people and their avatars will be, you That's know, already happening. Yeah, Fortnite, yeah Fortnite exactly, does that. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, exactly with Fortnite. But imagine if Fortnite was VR. With VR, that's I like know, the next I'm step. I know it's gonna be crazy. I played the um, Oculus before, and it's awesome. It's kind of unreal. It's yeah. You uh, you don't yeah. think it's gonna be that immersive, and it really is. It really is. I did the one, not the, or I think it was through Oculus, but at one of the centers, like where you get the hole of the balls and everything, so you can walk around. Um, I was like. They put us on a platform and it was, and then, so like you're in a green screen room, you have goggles on, you have headphones on, whatever. You're very immersed. I think that's the way, yeah, you're very immersed into the game. And then they split the ground in half and they send like half the team really far away and then you're half the team going really far away. But obviously nothing's really moving because it's all virtual. But then you start going like up the skyscraper and then you break through the skyscraper and you're just going up and up and up. And I was actually... I knew I was in a game, but I was too scared to take a step off the platform. <laughs> like it's a step in real life. Oh there's no gap. God. There's no fall. There's no nothing. But I was petrified. Like I was stuck in the middle, and I was like, "I'm not gonna move. I'm gonna die." Yeah. It's really, really unbelievable how realistic it feels. That leads me to the point about we already got into it: gaming and music colliding. How are you feeling about this new thing that's happening? Because I think that is like relatively new. How important gaming is to music and how important music is to gaming. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And where do you, th- where do you see that going? I mean, it's absolutely here to stay. Oh, for sure. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's funny. I just, I was thinking, I was thinking about like venue spaces and everything and like video games supply a venue in the online environment for performers and I think it's like, you know, it's it's pretty crazy. Like I'm I'm just thinking now if you got designers from Fortnite or some other wildly successful video game to design a like stage in a virtual like an app where you go and like it's a bunch of different stages mm-hmm. and it's all super immersive. I just think it's yeah, I think I think they're I think already the, doing I it. I think exactly the technology is here to stay and it's only gonna get better. Kevin just showed us uh this I can't remember if it was a friend of his or a partner or whatever, but this guy created uh, uh this is just like a way to phrase it. It didn't look exactly like this, but imagine the LA Convention Center completely VR immersive. So basically what he's selling it as is like hit me up and you can use my server and you can create any type of event you want because we already have stages that are made. We already have conference rooms. We already have massive conference centers. Like any type of event you want to bring to pe- bring people together in, we can provide it in this digital space. VR compatible. Everybody gets their own avatar, like customizable. And this is already real. You know what I'm saying? And so like, I, uh, I am very interested to see what's going to go on moving forward. I mean, we just watched in our class the other day the uh, League of Legends show 
where they incorporated augmented reality into the concert, but you couldn't see it in real life. You can only see it on the screen. Still very cool. Um, I forget. I had like a, an overarching point. I forget. Um, well, I mean, I, I think the point is, is that the technology is already here. Yeah. And it just, you know, it's all about making it more accessible. And um, yeah, I mean, I was kind of, we were debating earlier, just kind of pondering like, oh, will it be a thing? But like, the answer is unequivocally yes. Definitely. Like it's 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 just the ma- it's just a matter of time. I uh, I hope that it goes in a good direction. One thing I really wanted to ask you because of your like investment in the PR world is like how challenging has it become to break through the masses? It is now a world where like anyone who owns a laptop can be a professional artist and can put out songs. That's just like a matter of fact. And so with that being the case, there's like hundreds of thousands of artists trying to promote themselves every day. How hard is it as a PR person to like break through that noise and what strategies do you use to try and do that? It's extremely hard. Extremely. And especially being at the mercy of the journalists, it's like, you know, I have a pretty good idea of what people are gonna bite and what people aren't gonna bite. And part of that is just due to like how professional does this sound? It's like, yes, I can help you and I can pitch for you and I can, you know, I can pitch you to, to the blogs who would fit your sound the best. But, you know, at a certain point, it's like some of the students that I work with, um, it's, not prof- it's not as professionally sounding as it could be. And you mean um, the song specifically? Yeah, like I, I, mean, yeah. I, mean, I mean like mixing and mastering Yeah, wise, it's true. You know, and I'm just like, you know, I can start, I can start you and 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 start pitching but at the end of the day like i'm not sure how effective this will be just because this song is kind of still in the demo stages compared to like other you know music that's coming out that's getting pitched to these places um but i feel i feel like as long as you have so okay so separate that thought next thought all right so what do you do to what, how, how, how do you create the best press release possible? Um, well, the process starts about two weeks ahead of a music release. And I send an initial pitch, something that's like three short paragraphs long, just introducing myself, uh, introducing the artist, and talking about how it would be a good fit for the publication and why, and then giving a very short blurb about the song that I'm pitching as well as the artist's background. And then the full like press kit, the full bio, like all that's linked out, but you just want something really short that is kind of like an elevator pitch to the publications. And then um, just making sure that there's as much narrative as possible in the press release. You know, if you, we, I mean, we were in our class, we were working on that group. And so talking about how, they're all from different parts of the world, how they met, how the band formed, how the artists came up, you know, where the artist takes inspiration from, um, what was the songwriting process like, what's the person's story, where are they from, what hardships have they faced, like all that's really important in compiling into a press release in a concise way. Um, but anyway, the full press release comes later down the line, that's just like the initial bait that I toss Gotta into the water. And then just follow up a couple times, and then I'll send the full press release. Are you just sending cold emails right to bloggers and stuff like that, or to magazines? Yes. So what I well, they're not completely cold because how I get my contacts is I go on LinkedIn. Well, I'll I'll read, I'll read like Complex, or I'll read Acid Stag, or I'll read um, Pigs and Planes. You know. Pigs and Planes, mm. and if or or Mix Mag or DJ Mag for because I work in electronics a lot. Of course, yeah, yeah. And so if I see that a new art, if I see that a new writer comes up, and I'm like, huh, I don't recognize that writer. Like I don't have them in my database. Mm. I'll look them up on Instagram and LinkedIn, and I'll shoot them a message, and I'll say, hey, like my name's Peter. What's up? I'm a big fan of the stuff you've written. I really liked your write up of blank on blank. I thought that was really cool. What you said. And um, I work with a couple of different artists as their publicists. And I would really like to be in contact with you about their releases. If that's cool, send you updates. And I'm like, can I get your email? Yes, no, dead ass. <laughs> no, this this like, sounds so familiar. Yeah, this sounds like and, uh, a lot of what Loren talked about, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's all about 
Yeah, just just being personable. And human. Human. We talked about this before, bro. You treat showing like interest humans. in that person and what they do and why you know it's valuable that this person knows you, kind of, and is like 100%. it's like establishing that trust and respect right off the bat. So then once I get their email, I'll send them in, or once I get their email address, I'll send them an email from my email and I'll reintroduce myself a little bit longer. I'll, I'll show them some of the artists I'm working with and more aligned with the stuff that they do, um, that they write about. And then, yeah, that's kind of how it starts. And then from there, it's just, I pitch like formulaic emails to them, but, but I include the name and I include the, crucial pits. the yeah, publication. Yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. It's not just like, hey there. Yeah. No, it's like, what up, Still Dave? Still treating like a human, yeah. Yeah, it's what like, up, what, what up, Dave? Uh, I just started thinking about this real quick as a random tangent. How important are business cards anymore? Do you, ever, do you have any? <laughs> do you ever collect any? Do you make any? I feel like I went through a phase where I was like, okay, they said it was really important. Let me get some. I never made them. And I have like hundreds from other people that I just never even look at. They are important, but I don't know at what point they become important. I haven't, I haven't, you know, now I, now I definitely, since I actually have my own company I've started, I do want business cards That makes because sense. when you're in a pinch, um, you know, and especially in oh, COVID, you're still, if you don't want to take, I don't know. True. But- Wait, that's really interesting, bro. <laughs> I bet, I bet. Uh, business cards are going to be less relevant after COVID. I actually think yeah. that. That's but interesting. At the same time, like, I don't know. I went, I got my haircut the other day, new barber, fire haircut. I, <laughs> I loved it. And like, I got the business card. I didn't think twice about it. But um, yeah, I just think because when people don't have time to like fully put something in their phone, yeah, business cards are just a good way to like, it's a physical thing. Like when I empty my wallet at the end of the day, uh, you know, if I see that business card on my table, I'm more likely to put it, the contact information in my phone or file that information. Somehow. Or like look them up or something, you yeah. know, double check what the vibe was. Exactly. No, that makes total sense. I just started to think about that. Business cards are so funny because I feel they like are. when we grew up, as we were growing up, they became like less and less important until they got to a point where it was like only old people have them, you know? But then I got back to college and they were like, or not back to, but I got to college and they were like, get a business card. And I was like, Really? Like who? Who wants one? <laughs> but okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think speaking about like the front of social media, like yeah, exactly. Like they're just a flex. It's yeah. like this is legit. It's like having a good website for your business or oh, having true. like you know, it's just more credibility, professionalism. Yeah. That's like it has to do with the mixing and mastering. Yeah. People are gonna take you more seriously if you look professional, if you sound professional. Exactly. Damn, we live in a world. Everything's fake, right? Um, that shit ain't EQ'd right. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the low end, bro? Where's the low end, You're bro? You're done. Needs more sub base. Uh, we're going to start wrapping it up soon-ish, but I know, and I tried to build it in earlier, but we just started talking about other cool things. I know your Latin heritage is extremely important to you. And so I just want to talk a little bit about maybe the way you were raised, why it's important to you, your family life, your relationship with your parents. I know that's a lot, but... Just tell me about like where Peter comes from and, and why he fucks with his Latin heritage so much. Yeah, it's it's always it's always been a huge point for me because I feel like I really, you know, this is gonna sound way more dramatic than how I actually feel, but like I feel like um, I don't look Mexican, <laughs> but like I wish I looked more Mexican than I do sometimes. That's interesting. Okay, because like I wish. I, w- I don't know. I, I really feel very connected to that culture, but there's also a disconnect because I'm still learning the language. Like I'm, I'm very close to being fluent. I can talk with my family really well. And you know, that comes easy to me because we tend to talk about the same things usually, but with, you know, different twists every time hmm. when it comes to like watching TV shows, like most of the time I still need subtitles to really understand what's going on. They talk really fast. They talk really fast. Mm. But I listen to Spanish music. I love Spanish podcasts. Radio Ambiente is a good one. Um, Are your parents from Mexico? So my mom is from Mexico. And she was the oldest um, of three other siblings. And they crossed the border when she was 11 with their cousin's passports and landed just outside of Chicago in the suburbs. That's a heavy situation. Yeah. Does she do her stories and, 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 you know, her experience, uh, affect your perspective of our country at all? Absolutely. Yeah. How so? 
I mean, it's like a lot of these people, the reason that they come from other places to America is like for, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but for a chance at a better life. Very like, true. Because if you really put your nose to the grinder here, you could make more money than fucking like you could in a minute in Mexico. Um, and I'm saying all this very casually, but it's very true. Like in, in Venezuela, there's a humanitarian crisis where I saw that people make an average of $3, three American dollars a month. Oh my God. Um, in Venezuela. So it's like, you know, the, the situation isn't as horrific in Mexico, but there definitely are, there's a lot of, you know, political corruption in Mexico, still a lot of gang activity. Um, and yeah. And when people, you know, are ready to not be in that setting anymore, um, they'll, you know, try their hardest to get to another place where they can make something happen. And so that's kind of how I feel, you know, it makes, it upsets me when people, uh, people talk about immigrants in a bad way for sure. But at the same, like, I, I understand the argument because, you know, there is a legal way of doing something, but sometimes when you're a single mother of a family of four, like, I don't know, what would you do? Yeah. I think <laughs> like, out the would you wait like yeah, you years or family. would you, would you, would you just risk it for the betterment of your family as, as their children? So what we're seeing yeah, right now it's a very difficult, you is know, a lot thing. of people with the inability to relate. A lot of people with the inability to like show empathy, to put themselves in someone else's shoes. Like those people are blowing up online right now, you know? Like I hate to say that, but that's true. Like if you like don't know what it's like to be another person, you have clout. You know, like you start to gain clout because people are like, you're an idiot. And other people are like, no, they're totally right. Um, so we're seeing a lot of like extra and added toxicity online. But I think it's really crucial, bro, because I think that a lot of people lack what you're saying is perspective or not. No, you didn't say that. What I'm saying is they lack perspective and you described it by saying, you know, you have this really cool perspective of your mom's story and you get to see what other situations can be like. And that's really powerful. Um, do you have any siblings? You said you had a brother. Do you? Right? I have a younger brother. <laughs> yeah. Does he treat the situation of heritage as seriously? Cause I have a younger sister. I feel like kids that are younger don't care as much. I think he does. Okay. He, it really means a lot to him. He doesn't speak as good of the language, um, but I know that he wants to... He, he didn't go to school because he's an actor and he's actually doing pretty well. Mm. Um, he's crushing it right now. And, That's cool. But he does, he does... We do talk about it, how he wants to... Even though he probably won't be studying, but maybe like working at a shop for a year in Costa Rica. You sure. know, just... Just or maybe doing class along the side, so it is important to him for sure. I wonder if it just has to do with like the way you're raised. Is it, uh -huh. it, does, do your parents make it important for you guys, or do you think it was really like your own, your own thought? You were like, I you think, know what? I, I think care. it was both parts because I would always get teased when I was younger for not speaking Spanish well oh, that's by my cousins and by lame. my family. But it's kind of true. It's like. It's like if you're Latin, you you got you have to speak Spanish. Yeah. It's just a thing, and That's so funny. I feel like in other with other, um, you know, because if you're American, like you're gonna speak English. It's but true. People don't want to speak English when you're in Mexico. But with your music especially career, especially if they know you're, Spanish. this is only gonna benefit you. I just That's realized. It. Yeah. With your music career, like uh, Loren, she she is doing really well in the United States working with Latin artists because it's like uh, an undervalued group of people. I feel like. And especially we're seeing with this rise of like Bad Bunny. You saw what he did in New York with the train? No, I didn't. Uh, train, bus, something. Bad Bunny like rode around New York City on the top of a bus and did a concert. Of he did. Yeah, right? <laughs> it was so lit. <laughs> I know. I uh, love that. And Bad it just Bunny. made me think of Loren because I was like, awesome. she would come up with an idea like this. Um, yeah. Ha has, have you seen? Right, dude. I fucking love that, uh, the Oasis album or whatever. But uh, Oasis. Have you. Have you seen a benefit in your career with oh, this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just, well, part of it was, was being in Spain for about half a year and um, really, like, watching people move to reggaeton. And, like, I also saw, um, como se dice, what's the, oh, my God, with, it's the gypsy. It started, it started with gypsies in, in Spain. They're called gitanos. Um, don't know. Oh my God, Pete! No, it's a type of dance. It's a type of dance. 
and Rosalia incorporates it into her style of music. Um, flamenco? Yes, flamenco. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I only know because she does the thing and I see yes, her do the thing. So. Yes, 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 yes. You got it. Um, so with flamenco dancing, it's it was it was essentially it started in the caves of Spain because the in other parts of the world as well, but but mostly it mostly gained prominence in Spain. And that was gypsies living in caves in Andalusia in the south of Spain coming up with this way to way to dance and sing. And it's very emotive. What a world. It's it's such a cool and so Rosalia blends that traditional music with like modern pop reggaeton like and it just the the result is something so cool. And so yeah, being able to appreciate that, that kind of music is mm-hmm. is just cool. And it also it does the the music industry it's a very luke lucrative aspect of the music industry it's peaking right now or it's like showing up if you will travis just did a song with rosalia i mean that's a huge example of like the reggaeton breaking into the mainstream yeah um yeah and one of uh i forget if it's i think it's maluma he has like last week he had the number two worldwide charting spotify single damn so, and it's all in Spanish. There's not a word of English. No in it. way. Wow. That's actually crazy. So yeah, definitely the barriers are breaking down. Fuck yeah. And, um, I think putting, uh, multiple languages in your songs now is like almost imperative. It's like very cool. People yeah. love it and it will reach a huger audience. Um, I'm into that, like yeah. genre blending, nationality, bending music. Like that shit is very cool to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a huge market and, and Hispanic and Spanish and Latin American people love music. Yeah. Like it's such a part of their I was life. just thinking about that when you were talking about it. It's like experienced in a different way. Like it doesn't turn off. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like it doesn't, it doesn't when I'm. And it always hits your soul. Yeah. When There's I'm with n- my yeah. grandmother, she always has the radio on. Yeah. And she's always listening to music. And, so. and it, yeah, it's just different. We, we treat like that form of creative art a lot differently in this country, yeah. shamefully, yeah. but yeah. We love capitalism. So what hey, the fuck are you gonna do with that? No. <laughs> I know. Yeah, like love it was. It would, capitalism. It, there were there were just be <laughs> my friend who I met um, in Spain was in a different study abroad program than me, but we we both ended up realizing that we were from LA and had mutual friends. Oh, that's crazy! And he would he was there in Granada for an entire year, and he would go. He like met people that would just have jam sessions in their house and in their garage. So and it would be like five to nine people with all different, either percussion or vocal or strings or what have you. And just jamming out just jamming for like out. an entire afternoon into evening. Yeah. It's like a social thing. Yeah. Well, I could talk to you literally all day about the music industry and everything else, but As unfortunately well. I got to wrap it up. Um, you got work. I got He's a work, working man. Sadly, I got to, be a human or whatever. I hate real life. <laughs> I wish I could just sit here and do nothing all day and survive. You know? <laughs> um, but Peter, man, it's been really nice chatting with you. I hope you had a good time. Uh, thank you for coming. Of course. Thank Round two coming it. up. I would love that. And hopefully you can connect with some other people. I would love to have some oh, new guests. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I have so many artists in mind that, I would love I would, that. you know, it would be a great platform. Excellent. Thank you. I appreciate you on. saying that. Thank yeah. you. Um, all right, everybody. If you made it this far, I appreciate you. I love you. Stay tuned for more next week and, uh, you know, be safe. (laughs) Be a good person. Ciao. Be a good person. Talk to y'all later. Actually, Peter, if there's anything you want to shout out or like last words, I didn't even give you a chance. Please say something to people before you go. Yo, I started a company. It's called Red Bloom. If you want to talk about it with me, reach out on the gram. Pete Hustler. Mm -hmm. Or you can find me on the Instagram account for the business, redbloom.inc or LinkedIn, Peter Houston. (laughs) All of those ads will be in the bio, so please make sure you click them and follow. And uh, like I said, everybody, thanks again for making it this far. Love you. Talk to you later. Ciao. que se rompía uh, estaba parpadeando la luz del descansillo una voz de la escalera alguien cruzando el pasillo mala mente.
fuerte que la acera Mira, 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 mira Cuanto más quiero cruzarlo Va Más se mueve y tambalea Malamente Así, sí Malamente Pensarte malamente, así sí, sí, 